Welcome to Success the Last, a podcast that honestly explores the complicated topic of success. I'm your host, Jared Siegel. I'm a partner at DeLap and leader of our wealth advisory practice. During each episode, we're going to talk to a business owner, entrepreneur, real estate investor, or industry thought leader about their own experiences, insights, and observations as it pertains to life, business, finances, and ultimately fulfillment. Candidly, it can be lonely at the top. Our desire is to use this podcast to connect you with the ideas and resources so you can be better equipped to make more predictable, profitable, and rewarding decisions as you juggle the competing priorities of life, business, and money. Keep in mind, this is a podcast. It's not meant to be a replacement for your CPA or financial advisor, so be sure to check with the appropriate professionals before implementing any of the ideas. Welcome back to another episode of Success That Lasts. The 10,000 hour rule was popularized by Malcolm Gladwell. Roughly, it says that if you practice one skill for 10,000 hours, you have a really good chance of becoming an expert. So what would the outcome be if you practiced one particular thing for well over 55,000 hours? My bet would be that you'd become pretty awesome at it. That's why I'm excited for today's conversation with Matt Matichek. He spent his career helping auto dealers and real estate investors navigate the certainty of uncertainty as it comes to finances and tax strategy. Chances are that you spend more on tax expense than any other specific expense in your life. And so a little extra strategy or intentionality in your tax planning could offer a humongous ROI. So without further ado, let's jump into today's conversation with Matt Matichek of DeLap. Matt Matichek, you might not be ready, but it's your turn. Welcome to Success That Lasts. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to today's conversation. So let's just jump into it. I know who you are, but many of the listeners don't. So who is Matt Matichek? Married, couple of kids. Let's start there. Yeah, I'm tax partner at DeLap, and I've been with the firm for 17 years now. And Married, have three wonderful kids, live in Tualatin, and just loving life and happy to be a guest on your show today. Fantastic. So let's just start in with how does one become a CPA? Like as a little boy, some of us wanted to be pro baseball players. Personally, I was very excited about the opportunity to be the karate kid. That didn't shake out for me. How did you find public accounting and advisory work? Yeah, you don't see a lot of kids running around saying they want to be a CPA when they grow up. Not as common, no. Certainly. When did you know that you were interested in accounting? How did that come about? Well, I actually, I had a wonderful teacher my senior year in high school, Dave Kinghorn, McMinnville High School. In my senior year, there was an accounting course and I had had Mr. Kinghorn for other classes. And so I just figured, hey, I'll, I'll try it. I've, I've always been you know, stronger in the the math, the analytical side of things. And I thought it was cool. I don't think I, I went to college thinking I want to be a CPA, but I knew I really liked, I was intrigued by by business, whether it was finance, you know, accounting, something along those lines. And went to University of Portland for a variety of reasons. One of them, they had a strong business school. And the other one, they had a foreign exchange program in Salzburg, Austria, where you could spend a year abroad. And I had known people that had, that had done that program, and, and that was a big reason why I wanted to um, attend the university. And 
try and qualify for that program. And side note, interestingly enough, the so you go your sophomore year and you have to apply and be selected. And I, this was right around, there were some uh, tensions in the Middle East and the applicant numbers were, this is early 90s, were really down. And there were 38 people get to go on the program and there was 30 females and eight males. So I uh, sort of lucked my, my way in there by virtue of gender, I think, and not by my stellar GPA from freshman year. But I came back from that program and had to take some summer classes to get back on track because I fulfilled all my liberal arts requirements over there and took intermediate accounting. And, and it was one of those where everyone always says that's where the rubber hits the road and you either like it or you hate it. And I, I really enjoyed the problem solving side of things like my teacher and thought, hey, this is something that really can provide me with a lot of options in my career. And wasn't quite sure. Even then, I was I was set on public accounting, but I liked the idea of all the opportunities it would provide. So I, I would say that's how I kind of ended up in the accounting field. You started off as a generalist and over the last 17 years have become much, much more focused on real estate and auto dealers. Curious if you chose those industries or if they chose you or kind of how did you settle upon this focus? Well, when I came to Delap, I was a tax manager at a downtown firm. And one of the things I was really happy there, wasn't looking to leave, but one of the things that attracted me to Delap was the opportunity to come work with a gentleman named Jim Jones. And Jim had come over to Delap. At the time, it was Delap, White, Caldwell, and Croy. And his specialty was auto dealers. And he needed some help, some young tax leadership in the area. and. So I was really drawn to to go run around with him and just get a lot of partner time and learn from a really great advisor, really creative guy. And at the time I'd done, I'd never worked on an auto dealership, but there are complex entities and there's a lot going on in there. And so I came over to work with Jim and really enjoyed that. And then about three or four years into my time at the lap, I became the, the tax practice leader. And so my duties increased. And I had a, a couple of large real estate clients at the time that were growing a lot. And the auto industry was was not as hot around then. So real estate was really growing. My time available to spend on dealerships decreased with running the tax practice. So that's how I got into autos. And then real estate kind of became my next major focus because of the growth that we we had in the area and continue to see to this day. Yeah, when you look at the common denominators um, across many of our most affluent clients, there's a high allocation to real estate. It seems to be a potent asset class when you can combine leverage and cash flow and a tremendous amount of planning opportunities as it pertains to tax. It, it certainly seems to be one of the most tax-preferenced asset classes that are available. And for clients that are willing to be proactive and are organi organized enough at the front end, huge opportunities from a planning standpoint. What's interesting is, is you probably have clients that have roughly the same levels of professional and financial success, but their effective tax rate might be notably different just based upon how they choose to allocate time and focus across their business. Is that a true thing? I mean, have you seen that across your clients? Oh, absolutely. I mean, real estate is, it really is the, such a 
tax advantage investment. And there's there's so many planning opportunities that it brings to the table if you're able to, you know, put yourself in that position where you're, you know, you're a business owner and you also own the underlying real estate. And I've seen a lot of a lot of my clients that owned a business, but their focus turned to becoming primarily a real estate investor. I think it's kind of addicting for a lot of entrepreneurial folks. Yeah, tangible. You can see it, touch it, feel it. The upside is it's pretty notable. Yeah, especially here in the Northwest. Yeah, it's been a strong market. I guess as you kind of think through planning strategies that seem to work well within those respective industries, are there kind of recurring themes or opportunities, kind of strategies that seem to be beneficial for those industries that you're focused on? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think in real estate, the tax depreciation rules have been very liberal, really favor the real estate investor in the last several years. There's a lot of strategies to deploy accelerated depreciation with your real estate. It's a great estate planning tool to step up in basis to plan for multi-generational. You know, the not to get political, but when uh, Donald Trump's tax returns were the focus uh, in the news cycle, and I, I haven't seen his returns, but I was laughing because having a real estate investor that doesn't pay tax is not an uncommon, <laughs> is not an uncommon event with if they're structuring it properly. Absolutely. That's the neat thing I think about being focused on that space is a, an ounce of prevention is worth more than the pound of cure. That if you structure things right, right at the front end, there's an opportunity to grow your balance sheet real tax efficiently. As you kind of think through here, this will be get published at the end of November 2020. We we're dealing with a fair amount of uncertainty in the political environment. It appears as though we know what's going to occur, but not necessarily what the implications could be to taxes, amongst many of the other things. Thematically, kind of at a high level, how have you helped clients deal with the certainty of uncertainty? When the tax law seems to be changing often, obviously the economy and rates and returns, all these things are uncertain, but there's a certainty to that uncertainty. So I guess as you think about planning opportunities, is the estate tax law going to change? Is income tax laws, are they going to change? Capital gains rates, are those going to change? How have you attempted to help clients gain clarity in the midst of ambiguity? That's a great question. You know, I think probably... To boil it down, it's really about laying out the options and providing clarity with those options. And many times with tax planning, there is no right or wrong answer. And kind of the beauty of public accounting is you're dealing with several different types of business owners and individuals that have different philosophies. And that's what I, I really love about the industry is, is, is getting to work with so many different many different perspectives, but some are aggressive, some are conservative. And so I always try and lay out try and lay out the options and provide as much clarity as possible and then let them decide and be a sounding board as they're talking through their options. And certainly we're doing doing a lot of that right now with getting a lot of questions about Biden's tax plan and what does this mean for me and and where do I go from here? As we've come around our clients from a planning perspective to plan for the certainty of uncertainty, I've actually found the opportunity to kind of take a purposeful pause and kind of zoom out. And we work through a framework, frame one being values, frame two being goals, 
frame three being behaviors and, and really strategy is a, a form of behavior, right? That culmination of values, goals, and behaviors allow us to kind of transcend the annual one-year tax plan to what are we really trying to accomplish long-term? Because sometimes the right answer isn't necessarily to minimize tax today if it's going to only defer things into the future and create or exacerbate issues that are going to be down the road. Because a lot of the time, the strategies that fall out of a plan are going to look and feel a lot different if we shift the goal from minimizing tax today to minimizing the taxes that your assets are exposed to over the course of your lifetime and the ultimate destination, whether it's heirs or charity. And so for us going through that process of really getting clarity around why the money matters and where you want it to show up and how you want it to show up allows us to then put together plan well into the future. And essentially it's an agile plan because obviously change occurs. And so it allows us to simulate potential changes and then weigh the pros and cons of various decisions. And we take it from something that's intangible to something that's very tangible. And that visualization of the plan and the alternatives seems to be a, a way to create clarity amongst clients dealing with the certainty of uncertainty. Matt, you made reference to leading the tax practice. I'm curious, so that was about a 12-year journey and the tax practice grew significantly both in headcount and revenue during that period of time. You became an owner in the firm in, in that period of time. Do you think being an owner running a rapidly growing service line with 50, 60 plus people on your team, does that impact the way that you advise your clients in your capacity to render advice? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, I think there's just several, first and foremost, people think of us as, okay, I, I need good tax planning. I, I want to pay the least amount of tax as possible. And tax strategies, can we look at, how can you help me with that load? But really, if we're doing a good job, we're an overall advisor for our clients. And there's several of my clients that different industries One's a construction owner and another one's an owns an architect firm that we just, I feel like we're always, I don't want to say commiserate, but we're always talking about some of the same challenges that we're facing. You know, and recently, those, a lot of those were around staffing, training, the economy. And so being, you know, running the tax practice, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on within the lab and trying to educate and create resources and keep our client service and our quality control at top notch to serve our clients, maintain our reputation. And I don't care if you're selling widgets or cars or real estate, that a lot of the same issues transcend when you're a business owner. So I, I think absolutely it, it's been really helpful. So now, now I'm going to skewer you a little bit with a couple of more direct questions. It's true that we learn more from our mistakes and failures than we do from our successes. And it sounded like you became a, a young leader within a rapidly growing service line. Presumably, you made some mistakes along the way, paid some of the real world's tuition. Do you have a, a particular professional, air quotes, mistake that comes to mind? Something that later became a source of strength and learning that you could share with us? <laughs> There's a vault of those. Probably one of the one that comes to mind first was shortly after I joined the firm and we were serving a dealer client and we did the dealership work. But another firm up in Seattle did the 
owner's returns. And so we corresponded each year and planned with their their individual CPAs. And I found myself one planning conversation with a, a question that was an easy question for a tax CPA was, was how many years do you amortize goodwill over? And, and I knew what the answer was, but for whatever reason, I told them 30 years instead of 15. And the other CPA said, well, I don't think that's right. And then I kind of, without even thinking, I just kind of doubled down on my mistake. I'm like, no, it, it, it is. And, and of course it wasn't. And there was significant goodwill in this case because there was an acquisition. And, and so that was one that, that was a hard one because it was pretty blatant and I didn't want to be wrong with, with the other CPA involved. And so I, I learned a good lesson there to think things through a little more clearly before I just, I automatically responded right away. Definitely that, that one stuck with me for a while. Get the gift of humility. <laughs> Absolutely. I have a PhD in that. I guess as you're kind of thinking through the year end, if you're trying to prioritize conversations with clients, obviously it's going to be very client specific and plan specific, but are there some kind of planning pillars that are good reminders for people as we kind of approach the final parts of the year so that they don't accidentally tip Uncle Sam by paying a little bit more tax than they needed to? Any tax tips that are pretty generic that would be maybe valuable for people? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of the ones you'll see in the same Wall Street Journal article every December about the top 10 planning things. But yeah, you just just update the date and then rerun last year's article? A little bit. I know. I think an interesting one right now, we're getting a lot of questions on just the tax landscape going forward with obviously the elections just, I guess, they're not quite behind us yet. But and what happens with a Biden presidency, if that's that's where we end up. And there's still just so many unknowns. But we've highlighted a lot of a lot of the differences in what Biden has said he wants to do. And of course, the Senate, if that ends up being Republican controlled, which I guess that's what the the odds are, that potentially blocks a lot of probably the the main parts of, of his tax plan. So getting through that uncertainty, some of the discussions we've had are kind of the opposite of what we normally have which is maybe you accelerate income into 2020. Maybe you, you defer deductions to 2021 because one thing is probably for sure is that the, the tax rates in 2020, they're not going to be any lower in the near future. There's a chance they could be higher. So kind of depends on your outlook, and but it's something to consider is bringing some of those dollars in and paying more tax in 2020 just to hedge your bets. And certainly it's messy because you've got the disruption of the pandemic as effect, you know, affects everyone. And then there's also the PPP loans, which most small businesses have, have a PPP loan and going through that forgiveness aspect and waiting to see if there's any, any guidance on whether those expenses will be deductible to those businesses that receive the loans. So there's a lot going on right now. Unfortunately, it's not super clear. So again, we just try and talk it through and everyone's situation is unique and everyone's different and what fits best for one business owner may not be the best strategy for the next one. Now you've had the opportunity to work with a lot of really successful clients personally and professionally. 
and probably if if we had a time machine and we got to go back in time and and show 12 year old Matt what Matt of today looks like and in life looks like you probably would have deemed it pretty successful but I'm curious kind of how you have come to define success today in your own terms that's kind of the theme of of the podcast I've shared this once before but Warren Buffett's version of success is because when you get to be my age, success can be measured by the people that you want to love you actually do. How do you wrestle with success and experience it in your own life? Wow. That's, that's a great question. I mean, certainly, you know, my family is my most important, you know, I mean, I want to be a good husband, be a good dad, want to be a good son. You know, want to be a good business owner. A lot of this is just a balance, right? And there's a lot of things that pull at us in life and prioritizing what's the most important in any one time is it's challenging. I think we all struggle with it. But to me, there's so many things that make me happy that I would say causes success. And number one is going to be my family. But certainly, you know, I, I love, I love with our business, we've just got an incredible team and great watching someone we recruit out of college and they pass the CPA exam. They buy their first house. They have their first child. They get promoted to manager. You know, like I love celebrating in their journey and being a part of their success as well. Yeah. I've heard Ray Dalio synthesize kind of what you're saying is meaningful work and meaningful relationships. So I concur. You always say that more clearly and succinctly, Jared. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Somebody's got to translate from Matt Matichek language into the rest of our language. <laughs> well, awesome. Matt, I guess then as you kind of think through what's in store for you and, and your practice and your clients, do you have any kind of priorities for 2021 focus areas personally or professionally? Yeah. I, I mean, oh, you're putting me on the spot here. Right? Professionally is is we've underwent just a crazy amount of change the past couple of years, starting with, with the Tax Reform Act of 2018. We've been blessed to have a lot of growth, some amazing clients, amazing people. We don't need to talk about 2020. Looking forward, I'm excited. You know, my role has kind of shifted within the firm, and Melissa Burr is our new tax service line leader. And like I've told a lot of partners and team, she's, she's going to be awesome at that role. And do things a lot better than than I did in certain areas. And I'm excited to get more client facing is what the partners want me to do. And so that's going to be good. But certainly we have a lot, we have a lot to work with in terms of planning opportunities with you know, some of the things we've talked about and some of the new state and local taxes. And, and certainly as we exit this pandemic into um, how that affects everyone's businesses and new presidency. So there's tons of challenges that can't wait for. And then personally, it's continuing the journey. I mean, my oldest is a, is a junior in high school and my wife and I keep talking about he's he's gone in uh, a little less than two years. And that's kind of crazy because it seems like yesterday we, we brought him home from the hospital. So of course, probably as, as a lot of people have said, the one of the blessings of, of COVID is just being able to, to spend more time together as a family and create some meaningful memories and relationships there. Amen. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about at length on this show, money gets you stuff, experiences, and impact. 
COVID certainly created the space, calendar space required to create some experiences with people that we care for. So that's certainly one of the the hidden blessings in the midst of a lot of adversity. Well, I guess we'll end it on kind of your note, your acknowledgement of change. Pace of change has never been this fast. It'll never be this slow again. So uh, Matt, thanks for sharing some of your insights and experiences with us and look forward to rerunning this down the road. All right. Thanks, Jared.